and welcome to the Texan Overtime Podcast. My name is Michael Shapiro. I'm a senior sports reporter and football beat writer for the Daily Texan. Joining us as always, he is our sports editor and the president of the Joel Embiid fan club, Mr. Ezra Siegel. Ezra, how much do you trust the process at this point? I cannot stop trusting the process. It's a disease. <laughs> I was in the office last night at work desk, and Embiid hit the three, and I screamed trust the process, and no one had any idea what I was talking about. Uh, also joining us this evening uh, is our associate sports editor and co-football beat writer, and he, which is that Ed Belfort, was still the goalie for the Dallas Stars. That's minimal hockey knowledge, but I'm going with it. Mr. Tyler Horka. Tyler, oh, man, yeah. I haven't heard about the Eagle in forever, but bring him back. We Mr. need the Eagle. The Stanley Cup champion. You know, how are the Stars doing nowadays? Oh, like you said, they have that goaltender issue. They're going to score a lot of goals, but they're going to get scored on a lot. So, uh, I mean, can't expect much more out of them than last year, I don't think. Well, speaking of scored on a lot, that was really a nice segue for us. Let's talk some Texas football. We'll get the Trenton Dashner for a little women's soccer talk later. But first, Tyler Ezra, the Longhorns, go to Manhattan, Kansas, get beat 24-21. to Really a listless performance from the Longhorns. It was sloppy. They really got shredded by that Kansas State attack with a quarterback who really couldn't throw the ball. Tower, you were there. What went wrong in the Little Apple for the Longhorns? Well, everyone showed up, and I don't know, there was kind of a feeling like Texas was going to play well. They were finally going to play well in Manhattan, and I was kind of feeling it myself. But then before you know it, they're down 7 nothing, and then they're down 14 nothing before the end of the first quarter, and it just felt the same as any other Texas game, no matter the setting. I don't care if they were in Manhattan or if they were in Austin. It just it felt like a Texas football game. You know, you, you said you thought things were going to go well before the game. I'll admit I was a sheep. I thought the Longhorns were going to play well. I was wrong, as I, for some reason, really often am. You honestly shouldn't listen to my opinions. Ezra, you were real pessimistic going into it. You were proved right again. What do you think was the problem for the Longhorns at the Little Apple? Yeah, I think what it boils down to is, the, I mean, the game wasn't even as close as the score indicated. And it all comes back to this Texas defense. I mean, you know, in the first half, I believe Kansas State had 23 out of the 30 minutes of possession, and you know, that's just that's unacceptable for defense. Uh-huh. And until they can get off the field, until they can put their offense in good situations, which they ended up doing in the second half, but it was too late at that point. Um, until the defense, you know, really has an epic turnaround, we're going to see a lot of Texas losses this year. It was just so strange because Jesse Ertz, he he couldn't raise his arm above his his shoulder and. Some of those those bubble screens that kept going for eight or ten with the long corners, corners playing off, like I think I might throw a tighter spiral, and I'm not a very good quarterback for being honest. So we look at where Texas is right now. All right, they're three and four. They still have to face the fall, and they have to go to Tech. They host Baylor, they host West Virginia, and they host TCU. They'll get a win against Kansas, right? So we're gonna say they're four and four with those four games on the schedule. What are Texas's bowl chances realistically of not sitting at home for the entirety of December? I think it is really in jeopardy that they're going to miss bowl season yet again. A couple weeks ago, when there was at least a little bit of optimism still surrounding this team, you thought, hey, maybe they can win two of those three games they have left at home against very good opponents. But now I don't even know if they can win one of those starting here with Baylor. Harsh. Ezra? And, you know, they're in... The schedule is set up for them in a way that they have, you know, they have Baylor, top 10 team, they have West Virginia, top 10 team, they have both of them at home, and then they have TCU, another really tough team at home. So the schedule is set up for them in that, you know, they're not going to have to go on the road and beat these teams. But then again, when you look at their schedule so far, the teams they've been at home are a very disappointing Notre Dame team, Mm -hmm. a UTEP team, and an Iowa State team. So I think, you know, people talk about how well they've been playing at home, but I'm 
sort of on the I'll believe it when I see it again mm-hmm. uh, with in regards to the, the rest of the schedule. And, you know, we can talk about making a bowl all we really want, but, you know, say we give them the Kansas game, obviously. If the Longhorns are able to split Baylor and West Virginia and then split Tech and TCU, which, again, no easy task, that would still be pretty solid, I think, for this current iteration of Longhorns. That still puts them at 6-6 six and six going to the, <laughs> a bowl game, another non-winning season in the regular season for Charlie. Ezra, what does Mr. Strong have to do to keep his job moving forward? I think, you know, a lot of it is going to be about the optics of this team. It's going to be, I you agree. know, how are they playing? If they're, you know, if they finish six and six, but it looks like they're making progress, I think, you know, it's not necessarily a given that Charlie will be, will be gone next year like a lot of people think. But, you know, I think they're going to have to, if they don't make a bowl game, it's over for him. If they do, then it's just going to come down to, you know, how well is this team playing? How, how well are the freshmen and the sophomores mm-hmm. coming along? To me, I think it's still that eight-game threshold. He needs to get to eight wins. <laughs> there's no way. I'm telling you now, there's no way he's getting eight wins. Oh, I mean, and there's no way he's staying then, right? I think that's something we already know, that he's gone. But he could, if he gets to eight wins, whether it be, you know, win out the regular season and lose a bowl game or somehow go 4-1 and one in these last five games and, and win a, you know, a decent bowl game. Out I don't know bowl, what. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those. Um to, it's to me it's still eight wins or he's gone and as you said he's probably gone you know I, I think I'm probably more with Ezra on the optics part when you look at the administration you look at Fenves and you look at Mike Perrin who is who is weirdly at the start of every press conference for five minutes and leaves like he doesn't even get pluckers on his way out like I don't really know why he's there there's really no reason for him to be there <laughs> really he's gonna strange, stay for two right? minutes yeah he's just kind of ominous and he leaves out the back but you know, those two guys, I think, have really want to give Charlie every opportunity that he can to succeed. You know, he's a very nice man. You know, he's a very respectable guy for the University of Texas, has their head coach, really installs good, you know, culture and foundation for these young men. But at the end of the day, you know, I think Charlie's 14 and 18 right now as head coach. And if he ends this year at six and six or worse, six and seven following a bowl game, you just can't keep going with him. You know, he's a nice guy, he's a good coach, I think. But at the end of the day, if things don't really rapidly turn around, it's probably done for him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was doing some research before, and a crazy thing popped out to me is that there's only been three instances since 1942 that Texas missed back-to-back bowl games. And, wow. You know, if if that happens in these next or these last two years, you know, that's that's a pretty damning thing for Strong. And in 2014, you know, Texas probably shouldn't have even had gone to a bowl game. They had the Texas Bowl against Arkansas and had 59 yards total, one of the worst offensive performances Brutal. I think I've ever seen. So essentially, you know, three straight years if they don't get to one this year of no real bowl appearance. And I think the thing that we can't overlook, but way too many people are overlooking it, is the only reason Charlie is still here is because there's really no one to promote as an interim head coach. You can't really promote Sterling Gilbert. He doesn't have any coaching I mean, I don't experience. Know. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, who would they promote? Well, no, I don't think they have anyone to promote, but I don't think you it's You think like, if they wanted to get rid of him, he'd be gone right now? Yeah, I agree. I think I don't think they'd have canned him. Yeah, I think it, the, the problem with firing him in the middle of the year, if they did want to do that, which I don't think they necessarily do, is you know it's, it's, such, a, it's such a problem with recruiting. It's such a problem, you know, as you said, that they uh, – there's no one really to p- replace him, so I don't think I don't think that was necessarily the thing keeping him back. But I think there's really no benefit of firing him in if the middle of the year. If they're sitting at three and six though, after a loss to Baylor this weekend and maybe a loss to Texas Tech in a or a week from now, I think three and six is justifiable for for a canning. I, I mean, mean, he hasn't been three and six his whole time here, and this is this is a low point. This season is an <laughs> absolute mean, low point. 
I mean, that's fair. I mean, he, he'd be a dead man walking. But let's, let's kind of slow it down here. Texas still has some games to play. The scores, you know, aren't final yet. <laughs> Texas hosts number six in the country, Baylor, coming into Austin. 2.30 kickoff on Saturday. Let's move on the field here. The first thing I kind of want to talk about is Texas, you know, as we said, went 5-7 and seven last year. Really struggled and, you know, didn't have a very good year. But there were some positive signs going into the summer here. The freshman really played well to the end of the season. The incoming sophomore class really looked to be strong, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. You look at Malik Jefferson, who was the preseason Big 12 player of the year. And then at corner, you had Holton Hill, who was the number seven corner recruit in the country coming in. And then you had Devontae Davis, who was first team, you know, all Big 12 in the preseason. Jefferson has really struggled. Holton and Devontae Davis don't even see the field. Ezra, why aren't these sophomores able to make an impact on the field? I think... I think that the answer to that question is actually kind of, you know, still still hazy. I think, you know, mm-hmm. part of it is, you know, we've seen as a classic thing in college sports is the, the old sophomore slump. And then, you know, what the coaches and players like to say is that there's a lot of competition. There's more talent on the field this year. And, you know, you have to bring it in practice. And, you know, Dylan Haynes, in regards to the cornerback, said, you know, those two just aren't bringing it in practice right now. And, you know, Malik Jefferson is definitely a bit of a mystery after, you know, all all the success he had last year, but a lot of it you could probably attribute to him moving to the, to the inside linebacker position instead of the edge position. So I think, you know, part of it is probably, part of the, the competition aspect is probably true, and then part of it is just, you know, circumstances beyond, beyond Texas's control. You know, Jefferson's struggles have been kind of well-documented. We've talked about it in prior week's podcast, but you look at Hill and you look at Davis – and they're trailing John Bonney, who is a little slow, you know, isn't, doesn't really have the same athletic talent, and Chris Boyd, who has been burned time and again. They, you know, it's a pretty damning indictment, I think, on Davis and Hill. If they can't even see the field, they're playing special teams. Do you think it's the kind of thing where Charlie's trying to instill some practice habits in them, or do you think that they're actually not the best men for the job? I think I agree with you in that if they're trailing Bonney, on the depth chart, which Bonnie is still listed as one of the starting two cornerbacks, then they really must not be showing anything in practice and showing no signs that, you know, they can cover a guy better than Chris Boyd can because Chris Boyd right now is not covering guys. Getting torched. At the very beginning of the game, we talked all week about how Kansas State, they can't throw down Mm -hmm. the field. That first series, they go right down on uh, Chris Boyd and Receiver just makes a play right over his head. It It's not a good situation for Texas cornerbacks right now. Well, the cornerback situation, you know, really needs to see some improvement, especially in these coming weeks. And on Saturday, you know, Texas faces this Baylor attack. Baylor, number four total offense in the country, really can move the ball. You know, Bryles, you know, was dismissed from the program. They have not missed a beat. Ezra, why is this Baylor attack so special? Oh, I think when you look at it is one, it's it's really a revolutionary offense. You know, we've seen so many copycats around the country and they're all they're all doing similar if similar production and I mean you look right here in Austin, we have a copycat offense here and it's doing Baylor well. But it all starts with the run game. You know, Baylor is the only team in the country right now that has four rushers who average over 50 yards per game. They have, you know, their all-time leading rusher in Shacklin Wood, and then they have Seth Russell, who, you know, has gotten it done on the ground this year. He has a couple touchdowns. He's averaging He's one impressive. of the guys averaging over 50 yards per game. So, you know, they're going to pound the rock, and they're still a very underrated passing attack. I mean, most people, when you think of Baylor, you think of them throwing the ball 50 times a game. That's not the case nah, this year, but they're still getting it done when they need to. I was just about to say the same thing you are going to say, Ezra. Charlie Strong said in this week's press conference that 
first they want to stop the run, which, as you just laid out, it's going to be very hard to do for mm-hmm. Texas to stop that run. Then they want to force Baylor to throw and then try to cover guys. And when you think of Baylor, like you said, you think of airing it out, you know, started with Air Robert eight. Robert Griffin III and all the guys that have come since him, Bryce Petty, now Seth Russell. You can't really force guys like that to throw the ball because when you have John Bonney, Chris Boyd, Devontae Davis and Holton Hill, if they see the field trying to cover these Baylor receivers, it's going to be a very long day on the 40 acres. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's been installed at Baylor over the years has been really something special. You know, they were they were a cupcake on Texas' schedule before Browse came in, and, you know, obviously morally abhorrent what happened at that program. But you look around the college football landscape, and everyone's trying to do what, you know, Baylor really invented, and, and teams are really good copycats, but they are really the, the OG spread is kind of the <laughs> way I like to look at it. Um so Texas comes in pretty heavy underdogs, reeling off a lot of really bad loss to Kansas State. There's no other way to say it. Baylor undefeated. You know, they're the best team in the Big 12. They haven't beat anyone, only beat one team with a winning record, and that was Oklahoma State. But, you know, still got to give them props. They're still the top dog in the Big 12. Do you guys think there's, you know, any real shot of Texas pulling off the upset on Saturday? I'll tell you what, I do not think there is much of a shot. You know, yeah. they they are at home, so I can't completely write them off. But, you know, if you look at the ingredients that have beaten Texas this year, it's, one, a dominant wide receiver, and, you know, Katie. Baylor has one of the best in the country in Katie Cannon. He's had a catch in every single game he's ever played. You know, that guy, wow. we've seen... Stat of the day. Yeah. Stat of the day. You're like leaving <laughs> we've it seen, over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've seen D.D. Westbrook torch Longhorns. We've seen Chad Hansen torch Longhorns. We've seen James Washington torch Longhorns. So I think, you know, Katie Cannon's set for a good day. The other thing is, you know, Baylor might be the best defense Texas has played yet. They're number one in the Big 12 in yes, both scoring are. and yards allowed. And, you know, we saw what the Kansas State, atta- or Kansas State defense did to the Longhorn offense last week. And I think we might see an even worse version of it this week. Tyler, what are you thinking? Um, I, I feel like I say this a lot, but I agree with Ezra again. And the first thing he the first yeah. thing he said was uh, the crowd. I think that's the biggest thing Texas has going for itself. Obviously, they haven't played very good opponents at home, but they are a different team at home. If they can find a way to get the crowd into it, I think two years ago when Texas hosted Baylor, Baylor was. You know, a heavy favorite, which is funny. They're not a heavy favorite this week. I don't know if you guys have seen the What's line. What's the spread? They're only giving three and a half. Oh, I, you should bet a house on that's, Baylor. That's you easy money, is it not? I think. That is easy money. But anyway, yeah, you gotta huh. you got to feed off the crowd if you're Texas. Um, two years ago when they hosted Baylor, they ended up losing 28-7, to seven, but it was a game they were probably supposed to lose by 40, and it was a pretty good game. They can maybe keep it close, three and a half points close, I don't think so, but got to play to the crowd. Another going back to that Baylor defense, you know, they, as you said, they've only played one team with a winning record, and that was Oklahoma State. But what they did to Oklahoma State, what I thought was pretty encouraging, it was a close game, but they held, you know, Mason Rudolph, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And, you know, their offense is, I think, a top 10 or a top 15 scoring offense in the country, and they held them to 24 points. So this Baylor defense is definitely, you know, it's going to be a force on Saturday. You talk about that Baylor defense, and we're all kind of waiting for the game. Shane Bouchel just totally has his freshman moment I don't think he's really had it yet he's played decently in every game he's played uh-huh. and uh but this Baylor uh passing defense is number one in the Big 12 by far I think right. they hold teams to 160 yards passing and well under 50 percent passing completion or uh, completion percentage so look for Shane Bouchel to 
maybe have his worst game of the season. Yeah, Charlie said something interesting this week. He said that he really forgets sometimes that Bouchelle is a freshman, and he's really looked like that. He showed a lot of poise in the pocket. He's made all the throws. He throws a beautiful deep ball, but, you know, every now and then a freshman can have a rough game. You know, turnovers can kind of snowball, and that might be rough for the Texas offense going against this Baylor defense. All right, so let's go final predictions here. We'll start with Tyler. Give me a final score, 2.30 kickoff on Saturday at Darrell K. Royal Memorial Stadium. Well, I think Texas is going to find a way to put a decent amount of points on the board, but this Baylor offense is a completely different animal, and they're going to score over 40 points. And I've been saying it pretty much every podcast. Once the game goes over 40 points, Texas just can't really keep up. I think Baylor wins 45-31. to 31. Pretty good prediction. Ezra? I actually have an extremely similar prediction, 49-31. But, you know, as has been the case a lot of times this year for Texas, I don't think the score even reflects, you know, that type of beating that Texas would take. <laughs> Ezra and Tyler calling pretty much blowouts here. You know, the only they thing will I will cover that spread. They will. <laughs> the only thing I can really see in Texas's favor is the idea that's kind of a fluke. Whenever you see Texas play horribly, you know Charlie finds a way to kind of regain some confidence in this program, even though it's all it's all false hope at this point. But. I don't think it's going to fall for the Longhorns. I think they're going to really have a tough day. I think Bouchelle might struggle, as he mentioned. Give me Baylor something like, I don't know, 38-23, you know, kind of close in the first half. I think Baylor runs away. KD Cannon going to have a big day, just as all the receivers have had against the Texas secondary thus far. And when I say they will cover that spread, of course I was not talking about Texas. Of course, with that close three-and-a-half line, we are all predicting double-digit wins for the Bears. Ezra, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us, and I will see you guys uh, in the press box on Saturday. Thanks, Chef. All right, and we will now move to our women's soccer beat writer, Mr. Trenton Dashner. Trenton, sorry to you know, have such a downer note for you to come on with, but it seems fitting because the Longhorns women's soccer have lost five of their last seven contests, have really slipped in the Big 12 standings. Trenton, what's going on with this Longhorns team? Thanks for having me, Shap. Of course. Uh, it's, it's really something, uh, I mean, you can't really put your finger on the struggles of, of Texas soccer. Um, they lost uh, Alexa Adams, their top goal scorer from last year, and their leading goal scorer uh, so far this year. They lost her um, against Oklahoma State, and that was on September 30th, and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they had a couple uh, um, slip-ups in the Big 12 play um, before that, but um, I think that uh, coupled with, you know, they had already lost uh, Michaela Flores, their second-leading goal scorer from last year in the in the uh, uh, first game of the season. I think they've struggled on offense um, a little bit, especially lately. I haven't quite have ha- uh, had the same continuity. Um, they're relying on a lot of young players uh, on, on, on offense right now, and yeah, I mean, they've, they've created a lot of chances, you know. It's not like uh, they haven't got enough shots. I mean, they've played uh, pretty well against some tough teams. They played well against uh, West Virginia, number uh-huh. one team in the country. And, yeah, it's it's something you can't really put your finger on. You know, Wonka has been shut out three times since Alexa Adams went down. What kind of impact did she have on the Texas offense, and why is her departure you know, such a difficult thing for them to overcome? She's just tough to defend. She's got a lot of speed, um, really, uh, probably one of the – arguably the fastest players on on that roster and um she's tough she's tough to uh to maintain an open space you know she if she gets in a one-on-one situation um she can attack and uh she's, she's very good in the attacking third and you know she just runs past people and i think that that speed has been something that's been tough for teams to to defend and uh, not having that has kind of sort of limited the offense i would say mm-hmm. and so yeah, so you look at the Longhorns here. They have one regular season match left. They go to Fort Worth on Friday night, play TCU. It's going to be a 7 o'clock start there. 
correct me if I'm wrong, Texas is not guaranteed to make the Big 12 tournament. What ne- what scenario needs to happen for them to make it? What scenario needs to happen for the Longhorns to be done with their season on Friday night? So if Texas beats TCU, they're 100% in the Big 12 tournament. Okay. Um, if they tie, it gets interesting. Um, if they tie and uh, Texas Tech wins, then um, Texas will be bounced from the Big 12 tournament. Okay. Um, and then if, if Texas loses, they're out of the Big 12 tournament. If, well, great. Actually, I have to cut that. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Come on. Hold on. Hold on. Come on. Come on, man. You good. Hold on. Let me correct that stat. We got to go quick. I got five minutes left on the – 5% left on the battery. I got eight minutes. This won't take eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. Let's go Celtics. Click on that. Okay, I've got it. There we go. I got it. So, restart the question. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so if Texas wins, then they're in the Big 12 tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, If they tie and Texas Tech wins, then Texas gets dropped down to the eighth seed, and they will face West Virginia again. Okay. Um, If Texas loses and Texas Tech wins, then Texas is done for the season. So um, the tie is really interesting because um, if they right now they sit at the number seven seed, and um, if they tie and Texas Tech loses, then they would stay there, I I believe. So So you definitely want to avoid West Virginia there in that Big Twelve tournament. You know the Longhorns really played them tight, lost one nothing at home, but you can't expect them to overcome the number one team in the country. So preview this matchup for us. You know they have to go to TCU, a tough road contest, but you know. The Horned Frogs are only 1-5-1 and one in Big 12 play. Are the Longhorns, you know, significant favorites here going to TCU? I think Texas matches up really well with them. Um, I think Texas, uh, ever since last weekend, they sort of regained their mojo and momentum a little bit. They were on, they hit a rough patch there. They played uh, Texas Tech really well last Friday night and beat them 2-0 soundly. And, you know, they controlled a lot of the match against uh, West Virginia. And, you know, West Virginia really hasn't uh, seeing a, an opponent play them like that all year. So I think Texas uh, maybe have found something. They've got some of their mojo back. And um, I think I think they'll beat TCU and make it to the Big 12 tournament. How far they go in the Big 12 tournament uh, remains to be seen. But, so, yeah. so obviously no guarantee of Texas making the Big 12 tournament. But, you know, let's say, just for our own sake, that they do beat TCU. They get into that tournament. Seems like their RPI isn't good enough to get them in an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament. Do you think they have any real chance of winning the Big 12 tourney to really make it to those NCAAs, or do you think it's a significant long shot? Big 12's got a re- lot of really good teams. They really do. Um, really, this year, it's, it's, it's the strongest the conference um, has been in a while, I think. And Yeah, I, I don't see how Texas makes the NCAA tournament without winning the Big 12 tournament, and that in and of itself is going to be a massive challenge. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. What would Texas have to do, you know? They are heavy underdogs. What kind of play would they have to show on the field? Is it based on a defensive attack when they score a lot of goals? Is there any strategy you could see that could kind of vault Texas into the conversation to win that Big 12 tournament? They've been pretty good defensively lately. I think offensively, they're just going to have to catch some breaks. They're going to mm-hmm. have to, um, you know, on, on corners that get into the box, you know, they've, uh, you know, they've had chances to score, especially uh, against West Virginia. They had a lot of chances off headers um, on corner kicks to score. You know, they're going to have to get some breaks to fall their way. A um, couple loose balls into the box. Into the box, they might have to capitalize on. Um, they're definitely going to need some um, some good breaks on the offensive side. Um, if, if they get some breaks, you know, you never know what can happen in soccer. 
Well, you know, these Longhorns really caught a tough break losing Adams and are in a real difficult spot here heading into the Big 12 tournament. But, you know, that's why it's sports. You never count a team out. Trenton, if we don't talk to you before the season ends, thank you so much for your wonderful coverage. You can read Trenton on the Daily Texan website or in the actual paper on days when he has a preview or a, or a little recap for us or a feature in the Daily Texan. Trenton, thank you so much for joining us, bud. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of the Texan Overtime Podcast. Once again, I want to thank Trenton, Tyler, and Ezra, and we'll see if the Longhorns can make some noise in the Big 12 tournament in soccer or get a win over Baylor on the gridiron. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by The Daily Texan, hosted by Michael Shapiro, Ezra Siegel, and Tyler Horka. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode, and you can always find more news at dailytexanonline.com.